Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Sinuses cleared, hearts open, minds hearts. running. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to part two of our diacetyl episodes beer with a low malt concentration like beer like adjunct beer like corn mm-hmm. cream ale for example will have has more is more likely to pick up a second diacetyl creep if you will so we are on the second diacetyl creep of an adjunct beer oh episode you. Yeah, so the <laughs> the podcast is the adjunct beer, and this is the second. This is us being creeps about diacetyl for <laughs> a second time. Not to not to be confused with dry hop creeping or dry hop creep, which we'll right. talk about. Right. This is us being a creep on diacetyl, a yes. second creep. <laughs> um, speaking of creeps and talking about corn beer, <laughs> I will quickly divert from the topic, which obviously those of you listening did not hear us trying to prepare f- to start recording and me continuing to change the topic because I didn't really prepare that much for today. But I will entertain everyone, including you, Rachel. I don't think you've ever heard the story about like, I don't necessarily think I got heckled, but I kind of did during a presentation. It was when I lived in Charlotte <laughs> and the North Carolina science fair festival they it was like a statewide thing and they invited me to sit on a panel um to talk about like the the future of beer or something like that this was when i was with the craft maltsters guild so i was there talking about malt and specifically craft malt and i Mm -hmm. think um like there was somebody from uh app state up in boone from their fermentation program somebody else from white labs Uh, so we really kind of had everything covered right so I'm talking about malt, specifically craft malt, you know, how that can be a good, uh, like a good crop, particularly for people who don't grow tobacco anymore. And I've got like this beautiful presentation on like, here's what you should know about growing barley in the Southeast. Here's like all of the, you know, here's the future. And <laughs> this is like, this is open. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was free for everyone. And they also had free beer, free food. So like you didn't have to have a ticket or anything. Mm-hmm. And suddenly um, this guy like in the back of the, in the very back of the auditorium is like, I can kind of hear him when I'm talking like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate this. It's so distracting. And like enough so that I see people like turning to like, look at this guy, like what's your deal. And I see people like moving away from him because he's just basically talking over me. Mm-hmm. So then when it gets time for questions, this guy stands up and he's like, have you ever heard about Point Brewing in Stevens, in like Stevens Point, Wisconsin? I was like, nope, I sure haven't. He's like, well, they make a corn beer and just keeps talking about Point Brewing in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, <laughs> making this corn beer. And it was like, okay, like, what is the 
that sounds great. What is the question? And he's very intoxicated Uh. and like just keeps like it's one of those things where when you encounter someone like this. And like at first you're trying to be like smile and polite and like, yes, okay. so what is the question? And then like he just starts over again, (laughs) demanding to know if I've ever heard of this of this brewery in Wisconsin. (laughs) <laughs> and they make a corn beer and ah, you don't know anything and sits down. And it was, but it was like, he went before he did the, ah. <laughs> no joke, like three or four times. He just repeated the same thing in this auditorium of people about, did I know about this brewery in Stevens Point, Wisconsin? They make a, a, a corn beer. What do I know about corn? And I was like, well, we're talking about barley. Yeah, you have a question and, you know, enough like where some of the other panelists were like, sir, what is what what are you trying to ask? Yeah, he sits back down and then he just keeps on like Stevens Point, Wisconsin, like from the back of the amphitheater (laughs) while I'm trying to answer other questions. And he finally left. (laughs) And it was one of those things where like for me, I was just like, well, that was weird. (laughs) Yeah. But like after it was over, the guy who organized the panel comes up and like, you know, puts his hand on my shoulder. He's like, are you okay? Is that, are you okay? I'm (laughs) so sorry that happened to you. And I was just like, oh, I didn't even realize that was something that was happening to me specifically. I thought we were all experiencing this very intoxicated man (laughs) just heckling everybody about Stevens Point, Wisconsin and Point Brewing. And then later, one of the, like one of the admins of the building was like, yeah so since we don't have tickets like some people who you know live in the neighborhood have found out or like have like connected that when they see people going into the building that there's probably like free food and free alcohol Uh. and so they come in and just you know and I shouldn't say (laughs) they this particular gentleman came in and drank as much free beer as he could I guess and then heckled me and then had opinions yeah, and then or- <laughs> yeah, and then had opinions about Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and Point Brewing. Um, so it's like such a nightmare for that brewery. It was like this is like the worst way to be marketed. <laughs> I know, I know. But now, like, I went online afterward and like found their like one of their tin tacker signs, and it's awesome. It's like I like a a farmer, somebody dressed like a farmer, like overalls, flannel, kind of an older guy, but his head is a point, like like cone heads. <laughs> and that's point brewing and I remember finding that and sending it to some friends who had been there and was like somebody buy me this <laughs> please let me commemorate let me have this hanging somewhere where somebody's like why do you have this old old man tin tacker sign from this brewery in West oh Coast? you didn't know they have the best yeah the best beer brewed with corn yeah exactly know? yeah <laughs> it's like oh funny you ask i have this so i can distract everybody from what you actually wanted to be talking about and tell you the story instead yeah and derail the conversation so mission accomplished yeah. um and i guess we can get back to diacetyl now oh i love it it's a good story yes thank you also this is false bottom girls um if you- <laughs> If you haven't guessed, hopefully you have. Uh, I think this is pretty much like our MO where I just derail immediately and then remember to uh, introduce this very official podcast (laughs) that we make. And today we are talking again about diacetyl. So in our previous episode on diacetyl, we set it up in terms of what the flavor is, 
we walked through most of the fermentation. I have a couple of fermentation things to add uh, before we dive into kind of the other ways, like Rachel said, other ways that diacetyl might show up in brewing. And I'm really going to let her take that over because I just have my handwritten notes and Rachel has this very beautiful outline. But um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend listening to that first. Like I said, we're not going to go through a lot of the, the same information again, but suffice it to say, diacetyl will cause a butterscotch or a mi- microwave, a movie theater popcorn kind <laughs> or of microwave flavor, popcorn. or microwave, yeah, <laughs> um, in, in beer. Um, in most styles, it's going to be considered a flaw. Um, there are some styles where it's allowable in small levels, but generally what I tell people is if you're wondering if the, there's too much diacetyl in it to be allowable, it probably is. Mm-hmm. So it can also cause a slickness in the mouthfeel. And that's kind of where we'll leave all of that. So uh, you can go back and listen to that first episode. The only other couple things I wanted to add on for the fermentation part of how diacetyl forms, the first one being ALDC. Uh, so this is an exogenous enzyme that we've actually talked about in our Pediococcus episode. And we'll, we'll probably touch on that a little bit later as well, since we'll be talking about Pediococcus. Um, but ALDC is an exogenous enzyme that breaks down the alpha acetolactate before it turns into diacetyl. So instead of the alpha acetolactate leaching out and oxidizing into diacetyl, it's going to break down directly to acetoin, which as you'll recall from our last episode is going to be a flavorless compound. Um, so ALDC, the only problem with that is that it's not, it is a, it's not a problem, but that is a proactive solution, not a reactive solution. So you add that in your brew day at, you know, like at the beginning of, I think it's at the beginning of your fermentation. I may be wrong about that, or maybe it's at the end of your boil. Anyway, you, when you you say, when you say it's a reactive solution, as in like, you don't mean you wait for something to not good to happen. And then exactly. Yes. ALDC can't be added to clean up diacetyl once it's already there. It's preventative. Got it. So you okay, add so that it's... and that will break it down directly. But if you have a beer with diacetyl in it, you can't just add ALDC yeah, to, yeah, it yeah. to get rid of it. Um, which is also, I think in our, what the context of the PDO episode was me wondering if you could just add ALDC to a like if you could do 100% PDO fermented beer, because you have to pitch PDO with something else, right? Um, particularly to help eat all of that diacetyl. So that's why you usually do it with bread. Mm-hmm. So if you could just pitch mm-hmm. ALDC mm-hmm. and then have 100% PDO, um, I don't think you can. I think it's a pH thing, but mm-hmm. somebody later on. Mm-hmm. But we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, it's good. good thought though. Yeah, and listen, I'm full of good thoughts. <laughs> Um, So then the other thing with regards to yeast, when we're talking about diacetyl, is when you're using dry yeast, the, so the difference between dry yeast and liquid yeast in terms of what kind of diacetyl production you might get with dry yeast, there's a dedicated membrane that loses its ability to easily absorb that valine that we talked about into the yeast cell. And then, so then you've also got 
reduce energy levels of your cell due to the desiccation. So the desiccation being them um, making that dry, right? So um, mm -hmm. like when you have those silica salts in like in your clothing and stuff, that's there to absorb the moisture. So that's what they're doing when they're making dry yeast. So you have reduced energy levels due to that process. And you, so all of that to say you may be more likely if you're using dry yeast pitch as opposed to liquid yeast to have more diacetyl production just because the there's going to be a lower energy level and then it also doesn't have, it can't as easily absorb valine. Um, that is though just for the first pitch on subsequent repitches, you're, because at that point then you're, you, you've got healthier yeast, right? Mm -hmm. And you're, you're probably not repitching, you're probably not making dry yeast again from your yeast that you harvest, right? So you're repitching basically a liquid yeast, you're repitching a slurry. Uh, so for generations after that, you'll have a healthier fermentation, assuming, you know, ceteris paribus, assuming everything else remains the same and you're using healthy yeast mm -hmm. to begin with. So those were my last two points I had um, for cool. fermentation related things. So Rachel, I'm going to take sure. this diacetyl ball and throw it to you <laughs> to tell us about hop creep. All right. So hop creep is a term that you probably start have hearing a lot recently because it's all the rage these days. But um so basically, when you hear someone talking about hop creep, we're talking about the diacetyl, residual diacetyl that can form from the effect of dry hopping. So at, when beer is done fermenting, well, this primary fermentation, um, or some brewers even like to do it during, during primary fermentation, I've even had some brewers dry hop while they pitch the yeast. But you can do what you want. But during this process, you know, you know, typically let's say you have your, your beer, it's going through primary fermentation. It's starting to finish up primary fermentation um, and your diacetyl starting to go through the cleanup process. Um, uh, this is, uh, you know, a lot of people, this for a lot of people, this is a good time to dry hop your beer. And that's when we add extra hops to the fermenter for aroma effects. So when you do this, um, some brewers will pull the yeast off the beer before they do this. Some brewers like to keep the yeast on the beer when they do this. Either way, you still, if you were to pull yeast off, you're not taking all the yeast off. You still have residual yeast in there. So what happens is kind of the agitation of the actual one throwing the hops into the fermenter is going to um, stir up the yeast that has kind of been flocculating as it's been finishing up as the yeast has been finishing up its job, it kind of starts to go into a dormant stage and flocculate to the bottom of the fermenter. And this naturally happens. But as you know, if you're going to agitate that pile of yeast in there by the throwing the hops in the fermenter, it kind of picks up and starts to have a little bit of a secondary fermentation. And then you have the, um, you know, an extra you might have an extra wave of diacetyl. You might have gone through fermentation fully, right? Even did a VDK test, cleaned up all your, you know, your past your VDK test. And then you decided to, to uh, dry hop, which is totally fine. Then you might have a second wave of 
uh, diacetyl that you need to look out for and just w- like give it more time, just like you would your first wave of diacetyl. Um, so it's basically, you know, it's breaking down unfermentable sugars in beer, um, causing that secondary fermentation to occur. Um, so same cause this like can cause the same diacetyl as primary fermentation. This isn't like a different type of diacetyl or anything. And it's very common that like, I I say like my mind wants to say back in the day, but oh my gosh, even, (laughs) even like when I worked at left hand, when I worked at left hand, I don't know what they do now, but I worked there in 2014 and slash 2015. And they were dry hopping at a lower temperature about like 55, 60 degrees. And this is a very common thing that a lot of breweries did. Oh, 10 years ago or so, 15 years ago. Um, and it was the idea was called soft crashing. And this is allowing the dry hopping to happen at colder fermentation. And um, what was happening is this second formation of diacetyl, this hopcrete. And allowing this, um, you know, the idea behind it was that you were allowing some of the yeast to drop out of suspension. But the problem behind that theory is that you're never, you're never going to have all the yeast fully drop out. So you're still, you're, when you dry hop, you're going to agitate it and get that no matter what you pull off anyways. Um, So you're not really keeping it off the yeast. But if you don't let the temperature go above 70, then the potential of diacetyl formation just goes up a lot more so and it takes longer to get it get rid of it and this is this is the problem with loggers this is one of the reasons why loggers take so long Mm -hmm. to you know condition and get rid of their off flavors because it's at a colder temperature so same idea with ales so the idea of soft crashing doesn't really i mean i don't speak for everyone but i know at noda that was something that they were doing early on and that quickly changed over like before I started working there. So most breweries will crash at like we, our fermentation or a VDK temperature when we, when we raise the temperature of our like IPA fermentation or our ale fermentation, we'll go to 74 degrees um, for our, we call it our uh, VDK at the brewery. We just call it our VDK temperature, but um, it's the idea that that's the all the cleanup of that second diacetyl formation or primary fermentation just happens faster at warmer temperatures, right. just like fermentation happens faster at warmer t- temperatures. So that's what dry creep is referring to. Um, and it's a real thing. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is if you are working at a, a brewery or working with a piece of equipment that you can close off the side of the tank. Um, it was very common to also close off the side of the tank while doing this dry hopping at a lower temperature. And that just kind of adds to the problem. Um, so it's, if you can just kind of leave off, leave that blow off tank open, that will help get rid of this diacetyl and not reabsorb to your beer as well. So that was another for mechanical thing you can do. And then we also get diacetyl from dirty draft lines. Dirty draft lines. My old nemesis. You got to clean your draft lines. Son of a bitch. (laughs) Meet again. Well, like, so 
the draft quality manual mentions, which is your Bible for draft lines. And you, you know, it does say you got to, it has a cycle of cleaning every two weeks. Um, it has a certain time period where you throw in an extra asset cycle, has certain time periods where you have to break down the individual parts of the system. And these are not like suggestions. Like these are like real things <laughs> you need to do. Right. It really is amazing how many people like, seem to think that it is suggestions like i know they're not like they're not trying really to sell you amazing. anything like right. this is real things it's like it's like maintenance on your car which right. i understand people think that is suggestion too i get that i get that so you gotta you gotta decide you gotta prioritize your suggestions in life <laughs> right and you know i will say there's a, a obviously like i work for cicerone full-time um, obviously also Rachel and I are big believers in the program and its structure and it's, you know, it's not, it's not the a solution for everyone. It depends on what your goals are, but I will say that one thing Cicerone does that I don't see anyone else in the industry doing is that keeping and serving portion yeah. and the education on cleaning your draft lines, look at the beer quality manual, learn how to do that, learn how to take apart draft components yeah, and, and explaining why that's so important. And for me, that is, that's really where so much of the value of that is, is just understanding those things because I continue to be shocked by how many, even breweries don't clean their draft lines. Oh, I know. Beer bars don't clean their draft lines. And like, I get it if you're like in a hotel bar and you, you know, you have like four beers that are always on and you don't really have that much to do with it. That should still be getting clean. Don't get me wrong, but going to breweries who don't clean their draft lines is, it's just like, what, what? why are you, it's like, if you, you spent all this time and money and effort yeah. into creating this product. Hard. And then when you, it's like when you bring the glass to them, you've got your fingers, you're carrying it with Ugh. your fingers in the beer. Like that's basically the same thing. Yes. Like oh, just, God, just spit in the beer, you know? And <laughs> it's like, why would you, you've done all of this work and you can't take a couple of hours out of your day every two weeks to make sure that you, like, that's where you are in control, completely in control yeah. of the product you were serving to somebody. Exactly. And you're not cleaning your draft lines it's or the you're most not cleaning them correctly. It's the most important thing. Like, you're going to make this beautiful beer. You're going to do everything right in the brewery and then just destroy it on its way to the glass. Right. It's right. just. Yes. And I, I worked for a brewery that had mixed fermentation. So I think <sighs> for those of you who know my background that narrows it down really quickly, who did not clean their lines and wouldn't think anything about putting a, you know, it's a disgusting. stout on after a mixed firm beer had been there at best, they would maybe run water through it. Oh and that gosh. was how, that was how they cleaned the lines. And it's like, no, you can't do that. And also beers like that are not cheap to make. Those are very expensive beers yeah, with a lot of expensive ingredients and you've just fucked it up. And that's, again, that's in your tap room. You have control over that. So the, like Rachel said, dirty draft lines, as you can tell, since we're both just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and you, you know, you, you got to clean them every two weeks and you got to do it because you can't do it every three weeks. You can't do it once a month. It will eventually build up 
and to diacetyl <laughs> what we are talking about but basically you know pdo and pediococcus and lactobacillus different lactic acid bacteria strains are going to reproduce in this environment and um it's going to cause your beer taste sour and like diacetyl and that will happen it will happen no matter what you know you got to remember like these draft lines are inside of a cooler, right? And then you have the outside of the cooler that is not protected by a colder area. It is has all these different wild yeast floating around all day, getting up in there. God forbid you have a poorly trained staff and they're dunking beers into your um, glass of beer that you ordered and doing that and transferring all these different gross bugs. So yeah. Um, that's what will happen. It will happen. And as a brewer or as a salesperson, more importantly, or, you know, anyone in the beer industry, really, but if you, you know, salespeople, it's really important to know this off flavor, because if you have an account that's like, Hey, this beer is tasting bad. We need you to come replace it. And you're like, well, I know it doesn't taste bad at the brewery. So why is it tasting bad there? And if it doesn't taste have diacetyl at the brewery, but it has diacetyl at the bar, then you know it's not the brewery's fault and then it's a dirty draft line issue. And that's important. It's really important for quality control. Um, anyone who's working with beer in any sort of way, really. Right. But- and I will say, so I apologize, Rachel, while you were talking, of course, people listening did not see me like yeah. gesturing wildly and like bouncing around and stuff. But um, another thing that I learned in the practical beer tasting course, uh, the first time I took it, was that when it comes to dirty draft lines, so if you have a lactobacillus, which this is also um, a very pedantic distinction because at the end of the day, if you have a dirty draft line that has an infection in it, you have a dirty draft line that has infection in it um, mm-hmm. and not like that's that's it. That's the end of the story. You didn't clean it well enough. Um, but Lactobacillus will produce lactic and acetic acid, and about half of the lactobacillus strains, like you said, will produce diacetyl. Um, Pediococcus will produce lactic acid, but not acetic acid, and about half of it produces diacetyl. So when you're tasting the beer, again, at the end of the day, you've got a dirty draft line, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if it's PDO or lacto that you have. Definitely not. Yeah. But there is like that, there is that distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. Of kind of what your uh, dirty draft line, what the infection actually is, what that wild bacteria actually is. But again, who cares? You have a dirty draft line. Yeah. And like at that point, it's like a cumulative kind of thing. So, And they uh, are really easy to, to clean, with just a little bit of training. And right. there's a lot of videos out there. You're right. There's not a lot of programs. I mean, I learned because I worked at a beer bar and had someone teach me and then really had to relearn when we opened the brewery because I hadn't really done it in so long. Right. Right. And mm. I, I have never cleaned draft lines, which I know. Come on up. Um, I was about to say, I have uh, <laughs> Rachel and then my other friend who owns a brewery here in Georgia keeps saying like, you can come to my brewery and I'll let you clean my draft lines. And I do know that they're like, I have friends who have done that, who are studying for like their level two right now. Yeah. Who have just gone and, and into the brewery and watched or helped 
while they were cleaning their draft lines. Um, don't go into a brewery and do it for free because you're using hazardous chemicals and everything. No, if someone um, that compensation can look like whatever you want it to look like. If so, someone's willing to train you, that's a whole different thing than right. just going to do yourself. But right, exactly. Um, yeah. So that being said, draft quality manual available on the Brewers Association website. You can right. download a freed version of it. It's very useful. It has lots of different things all about uh, serving all different types of systems. Basically, anything you need to know about draft beer is in that manual. Right. And that's brewersassociation.org, I think. Yeah. Just look up Brewers Association draft quality manual. Yeah. A PDF will pop right up. There's a, a free downloadable version. Yeah. And I will say as somebody who, and this is, I, I guess this is a fairly common thing. Most people going into, I, I really think most areas of like, you know, certified advanced master, usually draft systems is where they have the least amount of experience, which makes sense. I mean, that's the case for me. And that's really where you need the most hands-on. Mm -hmm. um, that's not, that's just not available. But one thing that I started doing, especially studying for master was I would just go to eBay and see if I could find used draft components. And through that way, I've gotten super cheap, like foam on beer detectors, different kinds of couplers, different kinds of faucets. Mm -hmm. So I, I highly recommend if you're, if you're like me and you don't, you just don't have access to those components a lot, someplace like eBay, you can get super, super cheap old draft components. And they also have the it is a benefit because it's a learning experience, but it's not great when you pay money for something and like your fob shows up with old moldy dried beer and dead bugs in it, um, which is what happened to me. But then I had the opportunity yeah. to take the fob apart and clean yeah. it, you know, yeah. clean it and, you know, put it in PPW and get everything scrubbed and inspect all the pieces and do what I need to replace yeah. anything on this fob. So it's, I don't appreciate paying money for something that I, might very well have just been stolen from someplace, but I turned <laughs> yeah. it into here's an opportunity. Uh, you know, I've walked into this place and this is the fob I'm given. I need to take it apart. And I need to clean it. And I need to, need to inspect the parts to make sure they're all there. Uh, so yeah, eBay is a really great place. Good point for things like that. So for packaged beer, diacetyl is also a very important component um, to keep in mind because you know, when we are fermenting beer and we are getting to that last, you know, the gravity is starting to be the same every day and we've upped the temperature and we've done a couple of days of maturation and the beer is starting to taste good, you still need to know for sure if all the diacetyl has formally cleaned up. Um, because what can happen is if it hasn't and that alpha acetolactate has escaped and it has oxidized into diacetyl and the di and the cell hasn't had a chance to clean up that diacetyl it will spill over to the beer it will live in the beer um and it will present itself in the form of that buttery movie theater flavor in your packaged beer as some time goes by rich creamery butter I, I don't need it. I know it's okay, quote unquote, on some styles, but I don't know. I don't know if we if if we can clean it up. Maybe we could just you know clean it up, not have it anymore. But I am a big big component of this is what happens with Pilsner Cal. And maybe I don't. I mean, I know they could. I know they have the technology and the the know how 
and all that jazz to clean up diacetyl. But it doesn't taste like that over there because it's fresh. Anyways, we're, we're going to just have to take a trip to Pilsner Co. Yep. Um, all, of, everyone. all of everyone. Yeah. Everyone right now. <laughs> Group Hop trip. In. Need a, a yeah. need a lot of buddy passes. Charter plane, yeah. Need a lot of buddy passes. Side, uh, side, side story. Uh, my family wants to do this trip to like Ireland with my mom for a birthday, or, or you know, because you know that's what you have to do. Actually, it's not really for a birthday, but I'm gonna two birds, one stone it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jeff's like, you know, there's only uh, seven round trips of buddy passes left this year. I was like, I don't care. Like, cause you know, like I don't like if I want to travel, I'm Jeff's companion. It's like separate from buddy passes. So it doesn't affect me. Right. So I'm like, I don't care. I would use them all. We can use them all in next month for all I give a damn. It doesn't affect me. <laughs> so I got seven round trip buddy passes left for our, all of our listeners. <laughs> right. Well, listen, we'll just roll this over into 2024. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Everyone starts saving up. Yeah, use all of your buddy passes like in January. Like use all of your vacation. Everyone days. go befriend a pilot. Go. Or a flight attendant. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or just like somebody who works at an airline. Just anyone who has access to buddy passes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if you work for Delta in their HR department, you also have this perk. So yes, exactly. Let's yeah. just all dox a bunch of people who work for the <laughs> airlines and ask if they will pay for our podcast to go to Pilsner and Cal. Totally reasonable. I think so. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Listen. That's the one way it can form with packaged beer. Also, like lactic acid bacteria can live in alcohol without oxygen present. Um, so if you have a sanitary issue and you did not clean very well or a bug gotten into your process somehow and you package beer with bacteria in it it will reproduce and can cause into some diacetyl it can also build pressure in your bottle um maybe have a little gushing or if you open it or if you're if you're lucky and you get to open it it might have a little gushing there <laughs> it could just explode on its own especially if you're like bodily conditioning oh, well I, I shouldn't say especially I mean it happened either way but like I just feel if you like get maybe a little a bottling conditioning can always tend to have a little bit higher carbonation. That's that's brewer dependent on how much they're putting in there. When we do look out for diacetyl in the finished product and we I mentioned earlier that VDK test, that is VDK test stands for vicinal dicones. It's a test. It's a very simple way that very cheap way that we as professional brewers and home brewers can do to see if your beer has fully cleaned up conditioned because sometimes it can taste really good to you, but um, it might still have that precursor left in there or it um, just hasn't fully matured. So VDK again, stands for vices, vicinal dicones. And that means like there are two different compounds in this beer that can make this butter comp- compound or flavor or aroma. One's diacetyl. The other one is called 2,3-pentendione. But the flavor threshold of this 2,3-pentendione is very low. It's about one-tenth or about a tenth of the strength of diacetyl. And so it's hardly important when it comes to beer compound, but it is something that can make up that 
um, flavor of butter uh, or that movie theater popcorn. So it's just something I like to explain. Although, you know, we're talking about the VDK of the beer. We're talking about the two different diketones that can make this compound. But diacetyl is making about probably 99.9% of it, if that makes sense. So VDK tests, that's what we're VDK stands for. That's what we're talking about. We're doing a force diacetyl test. We take two samples of the beer. We filter them through just like a coffee filter, a simple funnel just into like a glass, nothing fancy, no big deal. Um, you're going to leave one at room temperature. You're going to heat one up in a hot water bath of 150 degrees for 30 minutes. And then you pull it out of that hot water bath. You typically go to stick it in the cooler. You're just trying to uh, cool it down so you can taste it so it doesn't burn your mouth. Um, but the idea is that the heating up of the alpha, any alpha acetolactate that is left over in the beer will force it into diacetyl, it'll oxidize it, it will force it into diacetyl, it'll allow you to taste it. Um, and so you taste the idea. And one of the reasons you have two samples, you leave one in a constant state. So this is considered your cold sample. Your other heated samples can considered your hot sample. Once your hot samples cool down, you taste them side by side. Obviously, if you can taste it in your cold sample, no need to, right. <laughs> no need to keep going. You need more time. Right. If you can taste it in your hot sample, but not your cold sample, then you still need some more time. That's the idea of this test. So give it another day, do another VDK. And then obviously, if you don't taste it in your hot sample, you beer is good to go to the next step, which is probably cold crashing. You want to crash your beer, move it off the yeast, continue on. So that is a VDK test. Super cheap, super easy. It has bit me in the butt before not doing it. As Jen knows, she's been the, 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 sac the sacrifice <laughs> of being a rush brewer slash business owner and going too fast and not checking things. It's so easy, so cheap, and you cannot come back from it. Once the diacetyl is in your finished beer, it's there. Like there's no, like there's no, there's it. That's it. That's it. So don't right. spend the extra day allowing your beer to sit, spend an extra week. Fuck it. It's not going to, it's not going to go bad. Like for a beer of a homebrew size batch, you, you don't really need to worry about yeast utolysis. Like you could leave that beer on there for three, four weeks probably five and you're gonna be okay mm -hmm. so yeah just, i've left i've left beers on yeast way longer than that and they were fine. <laughs> yeah but yeah and that's something we've talked about before too as a beer judge probably the feedback that i leave the most is you rush your fermentation yeah and i can tell it's or i, I can't tell but i'm fairly certain given my own personal experiences that you're probably rushing to meet the deadline to be able to get your beer to this competition in time. And it's acetaldehyde and diacetyl are the most common things. And it just, it's, well, you probably rushed your fermentation. Yeah. So the VDK test is, it's, is definitely one of those things for homebrewers that it's like, just do it. Just so like easy said, to do. It's, it's maybe, maybe 30 minutes outside out of your day, yeah. maybe, but you're, that's not a dedicated 30 minutes, right? No, you, it's like waiting. You just do it real quick and yeah. go do other stuff and come back yeah. to it. And I know Rachel, if I remember correctly, you said for 
the way you all heat your water is you you just have super hot water available, right? Yeah, we do, but you could just heat, heat it up in a microwave. Yeah, well, heat up the water, not the wort in the microwave yeah, or I know water. Yes. Right. I know what um, other breweries have said that works for them. Like if you're, you know, if, if you're a larger size brewer, or actually, even if you're a home brewer, if you have a sous vide machine, yeah, 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 you can, yeah. You can do it that way um, and heat up your sample in the, in your sous vide. Yeah. But that's also why. So the last thing we'll talk about is, and I, I think we touched on a little bit in the first episode, but that's, it's also why it's really important to have everyone on your staff trained, everyone, mm-hmm. particularly for diacetyl, because if you have somebody who's not very good at detecting diacetyl doing your VDK, uh, that's not a good idea, right? Yeah. Because they're not going to be able to pick it up as well as somebody who is sensitive to it. And that person who is sensitive to it or people who are sensitive to it might be one of your salespeople, or it might be your accountant, or it might be one of your mm-hmm. bartenders. It's not always going to be the people in the back of the house. Uh, exactly. so that's why it's important to make sure everyone's trained on it and understands what it is, and that you learn which people are like who who is your diacetyl nose. Right. Yeah. If you if if you're kind of on the fence, it's like definitely have this person do it and see what they think. Um, the same way with other compounds, but especially with diacetyls, they know who your diacetyl people are. Oh, and yeah. Even more importantly, know who they aren't. If you're a um, a bitter non-taster, we've we've talked about this before, you're less likely to be able to taste diacetyl. So that's something if you've done, you know, one of the probe strips and you know that you're either a taster or not a taster. If you're not a taster, that might be that's something that you should be aware of is that you have a higher threshold. Mm-hmm. being able to detect and recognize diacetyl than somebody who is a bitter taster. And that's, you know, that can be remedied also with a lot of practice. So then the last thing I wanted to say about diacetyl, especially with diacetyl, because and we did talk about this where it's kind of the first compound that people really learn, mm-hmm. usually just because there's so much diacetyl in yeah. beers out there. And we've talked yeah. about all the different ways that diacetyl can show up. But one thing that I hear a lot from people is that they they must be anosmic to it. And I, I don't recall if we've talked about anosmia before or not, but that's known as smell blindness. So you can be anosmic to, you know, different different compounds. 50% of people can't pick up on indole. You know, mm-hmm. 50% of people can't pick up on beta ionone, which is like a violet flavor. Violet, not violent flavor. <laughs> so, you know, we just all have these different genetic things yeah. that are like switches that are on and off. So everybody's going to be different. Also, why it's really important not just to train the brew house people on sensory. But I find with, especially with diacetyl, when people learn about the concept of anosmia, they're like, oh yeah, I think I'm anosmic to diacetyl because I can't taste it. Everybody, yeah. like other people can taste it. I'm probably anosmic. No, you're not. Diacetyl has an 8% anosmia rate, which doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're not, but it means there's a 92% chance that you just need to practice tasting diacetyl more. To exactly. And that's a, that's a, the reason with most cases, like, like acetylhaldehyde, it is my worst one. I am not blind to it. I can pick it up, but it has taken some practice. Right. And that's, that is most of the time the case. With most flavors, I, like you said, Indole does have a high rate, which always surprises me that they like 
actually put it on the test if 50% of the people are blind to it, you know, like the yeah. master test, uh, right. sister. And I mean, like, you know, hit, hit. just kidding. <laughs> so it's like, I, I have, I have, have no power that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, that, that you have not something... passed the test to have no, nothing to do with the test. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, but that is something that is, I, I can go on and on about anosmia and parosmia, but those, of course, with the COVID-19, with that being one of the oh, major in- indicators yeah. of having it, especially in the early days, was you were anosmic all of a sudden. And, you know, there are some people with long COVID who they still have parosmia, so they can't smell specific things. It's usually like sulfur compounds. Yeah. Uh, so in, and it's not good, but the research that has been done and the attention that has been paid to anosmia and how to help people, you know, the smell training and things like that, because so many people experienced it with the pandemic, there's now a lot more research on how that's caused because mm-hmm. our sense of smell is, is usually or historically has been seen as like a lower or a base um, sense that we have, whereas, uh, you know, eyesight is like the best one and hearing is the second best and everything else was really othered. And that's why there's not a lot of research into things like anosmia. Um, but now there is, obviously I have a lot of opinions on that, which is why (laughs) I, I diverted down this, but always with diacetyl, I've met so many people who, if they can't pick it up the first or second time are like, Oh, I must be blind to it. And it's like, no, no, it's highly more likely that you just need to practice some more and one day it will come to you. And if you're, if you truly think you might be anosmic to it, then you can do what's known as threshold testing. If you truly think you're anosmic to it and you want to do threshold testing, holler at your girl, because I learned how to do that in my UC Davis class. And I think it's really cool. And I haven't had the opportunity to actually do that to someone yet. So uh, hit me up and I will figure it out as we go. <laughs> so that wraps up our part two of diacetyl. Uh, the diacetyl creeps is going to be our new podcast name. No, but somebody out there can have it. You can have it if you want to do a, like like a there's podcast. A, there's a song here. Like I'll, I'll think I'll get back to it. Oh yeah. Like it. Okay, I've got it. Something, got it, got something it. to do with creep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like diacetyl creep. <laughs> I leached out of a yeast cell that didn't have enough valine. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it. All right. Yeah, like I see there's like, um, I want alpha acetolactate. I want more valine. I want perfect body <laughs> with no slick mouth feel. <laughs> I want to have control <laughs> of my fermentation. <laughs> Diacetyl <laughs> creep. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm a slickness. <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> I didn't get a diacetyl rest because I'm diacetyl creep. <laughs> there we That's go. Great. I'll add that. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I will add album. that to our, yeah. False Bottom Girls album. album. Yeah. Along Coming with out the 2024. What? Decoction <laughs> mash and yeah. la, 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 December times. Yeah. 
we're on something good here. Yeah, listen. I mean, we're we're if like we, a triple threat. If we sell one CD, it will be worth it. Yeah, <laughs> CD. I agree. That's how yeah. fucking old we are. <laughs> <laughs> we sell one mixtape. <laughs> that is how old we are. At least I didn't say record. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, if you're still listening, thank you. <laughs> This has been False Bottom Girls and our part two of Diacetyl, uh, Buttery Boogaloo. You can find us if you want, or you can unfollow us on social media at <laughs> False Bottom Girls on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us at uh, uh, girls at gmail.com and you can visit our website, falsebottomgirls.com. This has been False Bottom Girls and we make the Bruin world go round.